1: Hey everybody, it's Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Welcome to the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, where trail mix counts as a vegetable, right? Uh, It's me, your man, M.G. Marcus Grant, joined by Michael F. Florio. And uh, so, Florio, we are through the official end of the NFL regular season Uh, We were at that awkward part of the year where teams who didn't make the playoffs are starting to make front office changes. Uh, For everybody else who did make the playoffs, it's uh, you know time to get ready for that. I gotta ask how how you're feeling because you went through a range of emotions, I would imagine, on Sunday, like waiting for the Bills, watching the other games. Uh, What was your
2: Sunday like? It was a very fun Sunday. Uh, I actually went down to to Huntington Beach, uh, something I do very infrequently because. (laughs) Uh, Rank and a mutual friend, uh, Eric Young, the wrestler, they were going down there to watch. I used to do shows with Eric and stuff, so I haven't seen him in a couple years. Went down. Cynthia Freeland showed up for a little bit. Uh, It it was a fun Sunday, but everyone there was watching other games. I was locked on to Titans-Jags. And uh, (laughs) once that happened, I I was a lot much more calm. Even when the bills were down, I I still felt confident in that game. Uh, But when Ask Nicolette, when Deontay Hardy returned that punt, I I was jumping up and down and yelling <laughs> and going through it. So it was a fun Sunday, and I'm sure every game, like Bill's game like that, will be like that for me the rest of the way. As for your not, you get the easy one this week, but after that, I'm sure you'll be in a similar state.
1: Yeah, I mean, this week the Niners are off, and uh, it's great. I'm going out of town. I'm going to go just take a little getaway with the fam this weekend, so I don't really have to worry about it. I mean, maybe I'll pop in and watch a game here or there, but... Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to be super locked in uh, coming up this weekend. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but it should be fun. I know you always pick a game to be like, that's the one. Is that the bills? Oh yeah. I need to figure out. Yeah. What's the, uh, the game. I always call call it the target game, which is like basically the game where I'm like, Hey, I can just go to target and run errands and I'm not really going to be so upset if I miss it. Um, Chances are, as I look at the schedule, it's probably going to be Browns Texans, um, which is that first game on Saturday. But, Actually, actually, in theory, I guess none of it really matters because I'll be uh, I'll be out of town, (laughs) so they may all sort of be target games, I guess, for me, and I'll just kind (laughs) of pop in where I can. Uh, So we'll see about that. I I know my wife is a Rams fan, so we may have to find somewhere to watch Rams Lions. uh, That's game of the weekend. That is definitely game of the weekend. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Matthew Stafford used to play for the Lions, and Jared Goff was once coached by Sean McVay. He played for the Rams. This is uh, wait really. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I know no one's talking about this. (laughs) So I just wanted to make sure we get that out there uh, right now. All right. Uh, We have been doing our season recap. We've done the good. We've done the bad. Today, we'll do the WTFs, just the things that I thought were sort of weird or unexplainable. And we'll try to find a way to explain maybe the unexplainable. Uh, Also, we will do our way too early first round mock draft. We'll go back and forth 12 teams. Uh, Let's just for the sake of argument, say it's a single quarterback, full point PPR, uh, you know, your general standard, uh, well, I guess when it's become standard uh, fantasy league there. But uh, I want to start with some news because with the end of the regular season, that is when we see coaches being let go. Uh, one that I think caught you and I by surprise on Tuesday morning, the Titans have fired Mike Vrabel after a 6-11 and season, uh, back-to-back seasons below five hundred for Tennessee and their ownership deciding it was time to make a change. Uh, I know you said you put it out there on Twitter that you were surprised and that you got a lot of response back from Titans fans saying that you should not have been surprised.
2: Yeah, because I, I well, I, I guess I could have worded my tweet a little bit better. I wrote, seems like a mistake on the Titans part. And Titans fans were like, really, this guy's done nothing. And I'm like, you were the one seed a couple of years ago with Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback. <laughs> Uh like I know this year didn't go according to plan, but your quarterback was it, it was a revolving door of meh and and a young guy that you're trying to, to train. And I know there's like veteran players on this team, but you lost almost all of your defense from last year. Like everyone knew this was a rebuilding year uh coming in for the Titans. My thing is he's not gonna be unemployed for long. He will probably be one of the first coaches that gets uh hired this cycle because he he's done a lot of really good things. And I would say those Tennessee Titans teams, when they were the one seed, stuff like that, they weren't the most talented team in the league. They they beat the Dolphins a couple of weeks ago. They are way outclassed here. they beat the Jags with the division on the line. Like this is still a guy that can get his guys fired up, can get them to play and get them to to play well against teams that probably have a whole lot more talent.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was as you were talking here and I was scrolling through the Twitter feed of our pal and former producer, Justin Graver, uh, which, by the way, you can find him on Twitter at Titans Film Room. Uh, very good. Uh, does great content. Uh, always very much on the pulse of Titans Nation. And Like nothing in his feed suggested uh, that he saw this coming. Uh, I and mean, so far, Justin's been very down the middle. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to sit here and send him a send him a DM. Uh, as we sit and talk and and try to figure out how he feels about this, but, um, I don't know. It just didn't seem to him, uh, like, you know, maybe this was coming. I don't know, but it also doesn't seem like he's super shocked or blown away by it either. So, uh, Justin Graver sort of on the, the pulse of things. Um, Meanwhile, in Washington, Ron Rivera has been let go. I think we sort of saw that coming, the way things were going, new ownership. Uh, Everything has been bad in Washington for a long time. Maybe not all of it on Ron Rivera, but I don't know that he's also been the solution to anything either. So uh, easy for the new commander's owners to make that decision there. So Ron Rivera out uh, in Washington. But the one that all of fantasy Twitter is talking about down in Atlanta, the Falcons didn't even wait until Monday. They did it on Sunday night. They pulled the plug on Arthur Smith after three seasons as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So Arthur Smith's last official act as the Falcons head coach was to go and scream at Dennis Allen after his uh, after the Saints scored a late touchdown on the Falcons to make it, what was it 48-17, I think, at that point, which was the final score in that game. Um, I think he and Allen tried to smooth things over after the fact. Uh, side note, I love the fact that basically Jameis Winston went rogue and decided he was it. going to override Dennis Allen's call uh, and decided to get Jamal Williams a touchdown. But regardless, Arthur Smith is out as the Falcons head coach. Um, Look, I'm not going to sit here and you know be gleeful that a man lost his job. There are a lot of families involved. There are assistant coaches involved. They're going to lose their jobs. But... Look, Florio, there's no way around this, right? We all sort of agreed that he was the biggest obstacle to a lot of really talented players not developing over the last three years, whether it was Kyle Pitts or Drake London to an extent or Bijan Robinson this year. We looked at the way Arthur Smith was deploying his talent and, and felt like he was the problem. Now. We don't know what the solution is going to be yet. We don't know who the Falcons are going to hire as their new head coach, who's going to call the plays. None of those sorts of things. But step one seems like it's out of the way. The one big hurdle that we've identified is gone. So as we sit here on January 9th uh, at 10, 12 a.m. Pacific time, does this change where you'd be drafting any of those Falcons skill
2: guys? It gives me optimism But I still need to see what they're going to do here, because if they bring in Bill Belichick and then sign like Gardner Minshew to be their starting quarterback, I'm not going to be nearly as bullish uh, on (laughs) on these Falcons players as other people. Like, I've already seen people on Twitter like Kyle Pitts, top five tight end again, and I'm like... You know I love Kyle Pitts. and I believe in his (laughs) talent. I need to see, like, if they get Justin Fields and, like, Ben Johnson, sign me up. I I will pick this team to win the division and do a whole bunch of cool things and and all of that. But I still need to see who their their coach is going to be, who their play caller is going to be, and most importantly, what they are going to do to address the quarterback position, which for two years in a row now... As much as we could talk about Arthur Smith and and him holding players back, the quarterbacks are just as guilty of that. And and, and to your point, um, I always like it's a result based business. And there are times where I'm like, this guy's not getting it done. We need to see a change here. And usually, though, I feel bad for the human behind it. Arthur Smith is the one coach that I'm like, what was his redeeming quality? I I don't. (laughs) He was attacking media is telling people he might have a burner on Twitter now. I don't know. Like, (laughs) it just seems all bad right now.
1: It was not great. Um, And I think even Falcons fans looked at it and just saw an arrogance behind Arthur Smith and the way he approached things um, that was really sort of hard to swallow. And I think that is in the end is what sort of cost him. Uh, Definitely the quarterback situation did not help things. And I don't remember where I saw the tweet, but um, as soon as you know Lamar Jackson basically expressed his displeasure with the Ravens, and there was talk that maybe he would be on the trade block. That he, maybe he was available. Um, five teams immediately went out of their way to say we have no interest in Lamar Jackson. Of those five teams, four of them have fired their head coach. Um, did you? So yeah. Did you see Arthur
2: Blank double down on that? No. They asked really. him yesterday <laughs> at his press conference if it was a mistake to not, and he said, "I don't think so." Woo. All right. I mean, look, I look, stick to your guns, I guess. Um, (laughs) I'm hard about to win his second MVP.
1: uh, So I, so there it is. Uh, I guess the Falcons feel like they can figure out the quarterback position a little bit better. It's the same team that went through Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke uh, multiple times this year. So uh, what do I know? I just talk about fake football for a living. Um, (laughs) I I always tell you this. I'm sort of with you. I'm more optimistic about the Falcons, more optimistic about Pitts and London and Robinson. But until we know for sure who's coming in there and who's going to be running the offense, I don't know that you can plant a flag in the ground about where you would draft him. And certainly the idea of putting Kyle Pitts immediately back as a top five tight end feels hasty. So um, obviously we will all learn more together as this process goes along. Um, our pal, Matt Harmon actually made a interesting and sort of sad point that look, chances are Mike Vrabel is going to get hired by somebody because he is a good coach and that there's a good chance that Vrabel brings Arthur Smith along as the offensive coordinator. So, um, just keep that in mind, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, exactly. Um, other piece of news and it's not news necessarily, but interesting talking point, Justin Fields Now that his season is over, the Bears not going to the playoffs, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about what Fields' future will be in Chicago, whether or not the Bears decide they're going to build around him, uh, whether or not they're going to move on, maybe draft Caleb Williams with the number one overall pick. Obviously, for Fields, he has little to no say in the situation, but uh, he did say after uh, the final regular season game that he has no regrets about what's going on in Chicago. And, uh, you know, he's just kind of like the rest of us, waiting to see what his future is going to be. So let's just play devil's advocate, right? Let's just say the Bears are deciding they're going to start over a quarterback. And certainly, you know, there's been a lot of suspicion uh, that they will, considering that last game, they didn't even let Fields open up and throw the ball a ton. They still ran it more than they threw it uh, against the Packers when they were losing most of the day. So let's just say for the sake of argument that, that Justin Fields is not in Chicago. What is his best landing spot and why is it Atlanta?
2: It's Atlanta. Um, I was going (laughs) to say the other two that come to mind are the Steelers, because they've loud and clear have announced, hey, Kenny Pickett is not the guy we are in the playoffs and we are starting Mason Rudolph deservingly over a healthy Kenny Pickett. So they they know they need a quarterback there. Um, this one maybe is a little out of left field. Kirk Cousins came out and said he'll give them a discount. But if the Vikings decide we don't want to sign an aging quarterback coming off of a torn Achilles and draft a young guy uh, for him to play behind him a year, Justin Fields, I, again, it would have to be an in-division trade. So that one's probably not going to happen. But that one seems like a lot of fun to me. But, yeah, it's the Atlanta Falcons. You get... Justin Fields there with running option with Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier in the backfield and throwing to Kyle Pitts and Drake London and probably someone else that they bring in this off season. It's, it would be, you put that that group together with an offensive minded coach like say Ben Johnson and there would be no doubts that the Atlanta Falcons would be the fantasy community's team that they just hype up all year long and, um, and I think it would work wonders for fields who I still believe is a good quarterback in this league who you look at his numbers this year, throwing to DJ Moore versus every other bears player. And it's like, okay, this guy's an all pro quarterback when targeting DJ Moore and like league average with everyone else. And my thing is always like, you need competent pass catchers as well. Look at the Chiefs this year without him. Look at the, I mean, the Bills have went, like, they have digs and not a whole lot else. And like, and you see these quarterbacks struggle sometimes. And you've seen a lot of these quarterbacks take the next step when they get premium pass catchers around them. So I, I still believe in Justin Fields, even though, yeah, I, I I think he's played his last game for the Chicago Bears.
1: Yeah, I do, too. And I think that's unfortunate. And I say this as, you know I mean, you know, I'm an SC guy. I'm always going to cheer for my Trojans and I, I love Caleb Williams. But I still think that if you were the Bears, you were better off trying to build around Justin Fields. And I know the argument there is that you are going to have to pay him. You have to give him a decent sized contract for a guy that you're still not 100 percent sure about. But it does feel like, you know, you're pressing the reset button on something that while you think it is a solid thing is still sort of an unknown Uh, in Williams. You just don't know how things are going to go. And especially, I think Adam Rank made the point on Twitter. um, If you're going to go after Caleb Williams, if you're going to start over, you need to start completely over. That means a new head coach. That means a new infrastructure around him. Uh, You don't want to bring in a brand new quarterback, have a lame duck coach who could get fired the next year. And then suddenly you've delayed that development by at least a year, maybe more. Um, I think they should start over or not start over, but rebuild around Justin Fields. If not, uh, Atlanta, look, you get a good offensive uh, play caller in there. You get Justin Fields with the talent they already have and the defense that they had this year. They are the favorites in the NFC South, and they could be a team that you might want to watch out for in the playoffs. So um, we wait to see Uh, the Bears do have some options. They've got a lot of choices to make in the next couple of months. Um, couple of things this season that were sort of what the F, um, that I kind of picked out. Well, first thing, the RB dead zone that we fear so much maybe wasn't completely dead. Um, there were definitely some guys in that in that list that uh went sideways, some of them that we predicted. Guys like Miles Sanders, we sort of knew that wasn't really going to work out. Um, but there were a lot of guys that were sort of in the later part of that dead zone. That maybe we had questions about that turned out to be good. James Conner, Rashad White, James Cook. Uh, Maybe not James Cook. That might not be fair. I think we were all excited kind of about James Cook. But Conner and White for sure uh, in round six. Isaiah Pacheco, we sort of had questions about. DeAndre Swift, we weren't sure how things. Remember at the beginning of the year, there were three running backs, maybe even four running backs in Philadelphia that we were dealing with. We weren't sure what DeAndre Swift was going to do. He went in the seventh round. David Montgomery went in the eighth because we were sure that Jameer Gibbs was immediately going to eat up touches in that uh, in that Detroit backfield. All those guys ended up having pretty good fantasy seasons. So I ask you, is the dead zone
2: still a thing? Not to the extent that fantasy analysts broadcast it to be, I would say. And I, I thought that even last year a little bit, like... Uh, Look, I swung and missed plenty on some of these guys. I I was saying to fade Rashad White. I was saying to fade Isaiah Pacheco. But, like, I was in on... You were in on James Cook as well. I was in on James Conner. DeAndre Swift at cost was one that I drafted in a couple of leagues. And there's also plenty of guys in the dead zone, like you said, who didn't work out. But you look at them, Miles Sanders. uh, Alexander Madison is a little bit different, but he's a big one there too. Yeah. (laughs) Javante. Um, Damian Pierce didn't work out Dalvin cook and my Khalil Herbert. My takeaway is the ones that worked were on good offenses. And that was one of my bigger takeaways from last season and something that I implemented in my draft strategy this year. If there's two players that you feel similar about, take the one that's on the better offense. It's going to be more chances for yards, more chances to score touchdowns. Uh, so to me, there you'll hear about the dead zone again this year. And I think the way to kind of swift through it a little bit or sift through it is uh, to find the ones that are attached to, to high scoring offenses, because even if that player like James Cook, a good example, right? Like he wasn't getting the goal line work, but he was able to make up for it and be an RB one this year because of the high yardage that he saw and the pass game involvement that he saw. That's the other thing too. Huge difference between like a Damian Pierce who can't, isn't going to be heavily involved. That's probably one we should have seen coming. But that's why I was off Isaiah Pacheco. I didn't think they were going to throw the ball to him. They started throwing him the ball more, and it was awesome. So I think those are two things you need to look for in this range. Backs that could catch passes and on good offenses. And I think
1: another guy you mentioned, Rashad White, right? Like, he was not catching the football early. Rashad White, to me, seems like maybe the biggest outlier here because – We didn't expect much out of the Buccaneers offense. We didn't think they were going to be good. I mean, you and I both sat on this show and said that Mike Evans is not going to have a thousand receiving yards this year because he's got Baker Mayfield. He did it by week eight. Did it by week eight. Right. (laughs) I mean, he was that, he was that good this year. Rashad White was not expected to catch the football. It was not a thing he had done in his career. Um, And that was sort of the change because for the first six or seven weeks, you were right about Rashad white. You were, he was not an efficient runner. He was not catching the football. He wasn't offering you anything. If he didn't score a touchdown, you got nothing out of him. Then halfway through when the bucks realized, Hey, we can't run the ball. Hey, Rashad White, just go stand over there, not far from the quarterback. We're going to throw it to you, and that's going to be our running game. That's when things sort of turned around for him. So he very much feels like sort of the outlier here in this thing. Um, But I'm with you, sort of, you know, Montgomery, the the Lions offense was very good. We should have seen that coming. Um, I think with Swift, it was a little bit different just because I think we hoped it was him, but there was always the fear that Rashad Penny, although Rashad Penny was uh, persona non grata this year. Uh, but, you know, Kenneth Gainwell was going to be there. Maybe Boston Scott would, would raise up every once in a while and do some things. There were just four guys there, and that was before you even got to Jalen Hurts uh, running the football, uh, us not realizing that the brotherly shove was, you know, basically going to be, a, you know, their staple. I mean, it was going to be like butter and rice for them uh, every single week. Those are ones, I think, though, that we probably could have done a better job with. Um, heading into to this starting season, but I'm I'm with you though. I think it's it's guys who catch the football, guys who are in offenses that are going to score a lot of points. I think those are the ones that we can kind of figure out. I mean, I think I look at I'm just going through right and look at some of these guys. I mean, Jalen Warren, yeah. I mean, he had some moments, but the Steelers' offense wasn't really good, and it was between him and uh, uh, Najee Harris all season long. Chuba Hubbard was another one who came out of nowhere. Um, yeah. You know, I, we didn't like Miles Sanders. We didn't even think about Chuba. Like, we didn't even talk about Chuba Hubbard, right? Because we're like, he's the guy behind Miles Sanders. And we don't even like Miles Sanders. Why should we spend our time talking about Chuba Hubbard? But in the end, he sort of pushed Miles Sanders aside uh, and had a very good season. And then uh, Devin Singletary, another one that kind of came out of nowhere because we were yeah. all excited about Damian Pierce. And then uh, he turned out to not be productive. And they went on. And, uh, and it was uh,
2: Devin Singletary who turned into the guy there in I- Houston. One one maybe takeaway with that one is when there's coaching changes, don't always just assume that things are going to, like, this coaching staff had owed nothing to Damian Pierce. He he was not one that they drafted, not one that he, you know, ran for a thousand yards with last year. So that's one other thing I I try to do a lot is I try to cut out as much unknown as possible with the players Mm -hmm. that I'm drafting.
1: Yeah, uh, didn't we do that with uh, with like the Falcons years ago? Devontae Freeman was there at the end of his career. Oh, Tevin like, Coleman, Tevin Coleman, right? That we like, oh yeah, Tevin Coleman's gonna take over. Like he's the new guy. He's the guy they drafted, uh, and that didn't really work out for us. But I do think, I do think, generally though, there's there's something to your point there. Um, the other thing that was sort of WTF this season: QB injuries, and not not weird that QB injuries happened because they always happened but maybe the extent to which they happened 66 different quarterbacks started a game this season uh the most i believe in a non-strike year i think since 20 since way back in 2021 but i guess to the point we're getting to a point now that more and more quarterback injuries are happening or more quarterbacks are just underperforming and teams are having a a quicker hook with them at least 48 quarter or 48 quarterbacks i should say had at least 100 pass attempts so not only did we have a lot of quarterbacks see the field. We had a lot of quarterbacks play a significant amount this year. And it made me wonder about our draft strategy going forward, right? I know a lot of people who listen to the show probably play in super flex leagues, two quarterback leagues, what have you. The majority of the fantasy football world is still playing in one quarterback leagues, no matter how much you might try to shame them on social media for doing so. Don't yuck someone else's yums. Let them play in these leagues. But it does make me wonder... Should we really focus more on drafting multiple quarterbacks in one QB leagues, knowing that the chances are good your guy is
2: going to miss some time? I think so. And I think it depends when you take your first quarterback that should dictate when you take your second. Um, And what I mean by that, like if you use a third round pick on Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts, you're starting those guys if they stay healthy 16 of the 17 weeks in the fantasy season. The only one you're not is when they're on bye. So I think in that situation, you could wait a little bit and, and you don't need to take like another top 12 fantasy quarterback. You could take a QB two that has upside or something like that just to cover your bases in case of an injury. What I was a big strategy, a fan of strategy wise this past season. If you waited on quarterback, take two and take like maybe you pair one that's upside and one that is safe or something like that. Uh, And and I was having combinations of like with with guys like Tua, Dak, Watson, Geno, Daniel Jones, Anthony Richardson. And some of those guys got hurt. Some of them were bust. Um, That's why I laugh at the people who are like late round quarterback was clearly the play. If you took Dak or if you took Brock Purdy, it was awesome. And it's like, Okay, yeah, but if you took Geno Smith or Daniel Jones, who were going in that same ADP range, it was terrible for you for much of the season. <laughs> so, like, there's ways to win with either way, but I think you it's smart to take a second quarterback. Just when you take your first should dictate when you take your second, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And that's the thing I know I've talked to other people about, too, that you know, if you are going big on quarterback, if you decide you want to make that move, like you said, for Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson next year, um, you can wait a while. You can wait till the double digit rounds to get your second guy. If you decide to go middle rounds and you probably need to get one a little bit closer. Um, I do love your point about late round quarterbacks. And I feel that way about about a lot of the, I'll call them alternative strategies for lack of a better description right now, whether it's late round quarterback, whether it's zero RB, um, when everybody's like, yeah, that's the way to go. Sure. If you pick the right guys, right? Like it's always, it's always easy to say like, oh yeah, man, I waited and I got Brock Purdy late. Sure. Um, but if you waited and you know, you took another, you took Trevor Lawrence, you know, kind of in the middle to late rounds, like yeah, it wasn't as great a year for you, right? Like, sure, maybe you took Jordan Love late and it sort of worked out, although it didn't really work out until mid to late in the season. Um, you know, took Russell Wilson late. It wasn't really great for you. So it really does have an impact on who you take too. I mean, I know that's pretty basic, right? Like your know, hashtag draft good players. Um, but that really sort of is is kind of the way to go. I would also ask, should you change... In superflex flex to QB leagues, because I know you and I have talked about this. I've seen it in other places uh, that a lot of times, instead of maybe trying to force a second quarterback into a superflex lineup that you're better off maybe trying to start a wide receiver running back, maybe even a tight end, depending on who it is. Um, are you more or less likely now to maybe take a third quarterback, depending on who's left on the board at this point?
2: Uh, I I always try to take three quarterbacks in super flex, but it's largely because I think my super flex strategy differs from other people where they're really a lot of people start quarterback, quarterback in super flex or like within the first three rounds, they have two. I always my first round pick is always a quarterback, uh, especially if I can get one of the top five guys or something like that. If they run, you know, I'm targeting that player. But then I'll wait till like the fourth, fifth round. And again, this is a lot easier to say because I ended up getting it with Brock Purdy. But like in one super flex this year, I took Justin Herbert in the first round and I didn't take my second quarterback till like the 10th round and it was Brock wow. Purdy. And I. <laughs> I hit with him, but I had other upside quarterbacks that I paired with. I I, I forget who else I had on that team, but like I had another team where I had Allen and Jared Goff, who was going outside the top. Like I am not a get top two, top 12 quarterback type of super flex drafters. Like two years ago, Daniel Jones was someone I was taking a bunch because what I always try to do is I try to find the QB twos that I think can run and I'll, and have upside. And I'll take like one of those and then I'll pair them with like, a boring, safe veteran like like Russell Wilson fits the mold this year, or Matthew Stafford, or or something like that. Um, And it it tends to work for me because quarterback injuries, like you said, the, like the last two of the last three seasons are the most quarterbacks that have played. Like it it's there's been a lot of turnover at the position, so I try to get like elite wide receivers and stuff while other people are taking their secondary quarterbacks. And it doesn't always work, I, but. <laughs> I had a league one two years ago where I won a super flex league. And for most of the year I was starting one quarterback and my, I had like a breakout running back or receiver or someone in my super flex spot. There's ways, I think people get too like blinded into like, I need two quarterbacks right away or I have no chance in this league. Whereas I, I kind of find it to be the opposite. It's funny. And like, I had to sort of take myself back to
1: August, right? When you're like, yeah, I waited till the round 10 or 11 and got Brock Purdy. And I was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I guess back then nobody really thought Brock Purdy was (laughs) going to be that dude. Uh, We all thought, you know, like it was a flash in the pan that he was a system. I mean, I guess some people still do believe that, that he's a system quarterback, but nobody expected Brock Purdy to be a top six quarterback. It doesn't matter for fantasy. It really doesn't. Like They don't ask how, they ask how many. Uh, And I will say this. It doesn't really matter for real football either. If you're winning, no one really cares how it happened. They just care that it happened. That's all I'm saying.
2: I I spent a lot of time last offseason on this pod saying, I think if you put Brock Purdy on 31 other teams, he's not a starter. But I was taking him in fantasy because he is tied to one of the best offenses in football. That's what matters. The
1: good news is that he wasn't on one of the 31 other teams. Yeah. <laughs> he was on the one team that
2: maximized
1: his ability. So let's just, you know, that's very much like the, Hey man, if you take away all the touchdowns, this guy scored, he didn't score a lot of touchdowns. Um, <laughs> sure, man, we can do sit here and do hypotheticals all day, but let's just deal with what is and and what was, is that Brock Purdy had a really, really good season. Um, yeah. I will say this. I last year really went early on quarterbacks and super flex. Um, that wasn't always the case. Uh this year I had a team where I had, you know, I had Jalen Hurts and uh and uh Tuatongailoa. That's awesome. out well. <laughs> Worked out really well for most of the season. Um, but I've also been in leagues where it's like I get to late in the year and my second quarterback either, either hurt or is not very good. And I found myself plugging like another wide receiver into the, the super flex spot. So Um, I guess that's all to say, don't necessarily, as you mentioned, get yourself locked into one way of thinking. There are multiple ways to succeed, even in super flex leagues. Uh, Got a little bit more WTF to talk about. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more on the NFL fantasy football podcast.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better.
1: Talking about the things that were a little bit weird uh, in the 2023 season. And uh, this one, uh, I just said Joe Flacco. Because <laughs> it was like, what Joe Flacco, right? Joe Flacco from weeks 13 to 17. Uh, that was when he took over as the starter in Cleveland. The QB2, only Lamar Jackson had more fantasy points than Joe Flacco from weeks 13 to 17. The QB three in that stretch was Jake Browning. So maybe you could throw him in here in the WTF situation. Browning, well, I guess both of them, right? Should we have been able to see this coming? Yeah, you know, may, Maybe not to the extent that Joe Flacco is the QB two, but like that Joe Flacco could come in and be successful or that Jake Browning could come in and be successful. Should we have seen it coming?
2: No. Okay. Um, maybe to the extent like, hey, they could keep their team afloat and they can do what the coach is at. Like they could be a game manager and stuff. Joe Flacco is arguably playing the best football of his career right now, uh, at least statistically speaking. So, no, a year 40 quarterback signed off the couch, even like Jake Browning. Awesome story. I think he should get a chance to start next year. Um, but when he when Joe Burrow went down, you're thinking this Bengals offense is one we could stream defenses against now. And kudos to these guys for proving us wrong. But I maybe I need to change the process or something. But there was 0% <laughs> chance that I saw either of these two coming. Yeah, I mean, I was just trying to think about it. Right. Because like with Browning,
1: there was still talent around him. Right. They still had a healthy Jamar Chase for a good stretch of that. Right. They had. You know, uh, T. Higgins was sort of in and out of the lineup, but they had T. Higgins at times. Tyler Boyd is not a bad receiver; he's just sort of, uh, you know, become an afterthought in that offense. They still had Joe Mixon, so maybe you know, with with Browning, we should have just, we should just immediately think that these guys are awful because they're backups, right? I mean, Browning is sitting behind Joe Burrow, who we consider to be uh, a top five quarterback in this league. Uh, Flacco, again, a guy who won a Super Bowl, was a Super Bowl MVP. Yes, he was 40 years old uh, and has been sitting on his couch for much of the, much of the season. When he comes in uh, to an offense that had Amari Cooper still, that had a talented Javid Njoku. I think with, with Flacco, the thing that was weird is that he was so good where the other Browns quarterbacks have been so bad, um, where like, you know, they hadn't been able to get guys involved, right? Amari Cooper's numbers were so up and down. David and Joku had really been invisible for much of the season. Uh, Elijah Elijah Moore didn't really do much with Joe Flacco either, so maybe that's not a good example. Um, But that Flacco really lit it up with all these guys that whether it was Deshaun Watson, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, who else started a game at quarterback for the Browns this year, Uh, PJ Walker, right? Uh, That these guys couldn't get any production out of this group of skill position guys. And Joe Flacco came in and immediately got it done. And now the Browns are looking like one of those teams that nobody wants to deal with in the playoffs. I mean, we know how good their defense is and now they're moving the ball and scoring points on offense. They are scary, but I, I'm
2: with you. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think there was any way to really predict this. The, the Browns couldn't even predict this because they would have signed Joe Flacco earlier, and they wouldn't. They gave the largest guaranteed contract in NFL history to a quarterback who threw less than 500 yards fewer and uh six fewer touchdowns in one more game than Joe Flacco played in this same offense. So even the Browns, I don't think, saw this coming. But this is what it is, man. Joe Flacco is on like an Eli Manning run. One of those where like. They're they're just seeing red and they're running red hot. It is going to hit a wall at some point. My prediction is when they play the Ravens in the playoffs.
1: You know, I mean, which they have to play, right? Because we're getting all these reunions. We're getting Mike McCarthy going against the Packers. We're getting, you know, the Rams uh, Rams Lions reunions there. Right. So we we absolutely need to get Joe Flacco going against the Ravens in the playoffs.
2: Chiefs and Bills win this weekend. All that well, all we need is then the Browns to win, and, and it is lined up for next That's week. It. That's all we need. So
1: uh, we'll see if that uh, if that actually happens. But Joe Flacco, definitely one of the big WTFs uh, of the 2023 fantasy football season. Uh, before we finish, I wanted to do a way too early first round mock. I know a lot of folks are doing them. I am actually in, I actually just made a couple of picks in a uh, slow mock draft that uh, I'm in right now. We're not going to sit here and torture you with a full 15 rounds. We're going to do a first round. We'll go back and forth Uh, for 12 teams. uh, Florio and I just picking what we think will be the order for next year. So um, I will allow you to go first. Just a little explanation and uh, the name for who you are picking.
2: Yeah, I I said the other day, I don't know if there'll be a consensus number one, but the one that I think is going to go most often is who I will take. And that is Christian. McCaffrey who uh, in the last five years has three of the best fantasy seasons by a running back ever Uh, would have been just the fourth running back ever to get 400 points. If he didn't get hurt uh, late in the season, even getting hurt, no other running back was within a hundred fantasy points of him. So yeah, easy, easy CMC pick.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've already sort of staked my claim that Christian McCaffrey is going to be my one dot Oh one, just because uh, of the, the running back situation. It is for number two, a lot of different ways I could go. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's gonna be a wide receiver and a lot of different options out there. A lot of different guys who are producing this year or who are in really good situations. But my number two pick uh, coming into this off season, I guess early next season, is gonna be Jamar Chase. Uh, like I looked at, it, I, I thought CeeDee Lamb, I thought Tyreek Hill, I thought Justin Jefferson. But one, expecting a fully healthy Joe Burrow next year. Very likely that T. Higgins is going to be playing elsewhere next season, which means that opens up a few more opportunities for Jamar Chase. You just got a quarterback and a wide receiver who really uh, work well together, go hand in hand, who, when everything is right, are good for big plays. And look, I I know that is the case for a lot of these other guys, too, right? I think C.D. Lamb could very well have slid into this spot. Uh, I think Tyreek Hill and Tua can continue to do big things, although uh, the pace that they were on this year seems unsustainable. Um, Jefferson, I worry about just because I don't know what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. But Jamar Chase, uh,
2: he and Joe Burrow seem locked in. So he's my number two. There's four wide receivers I think that could be number one overall. And Jamar Chase is is the sneaky one because he hasn't done it yet. But I mean, to the level of like a Jefferson, a Lamb, and a Hill. But I love that pick because healthy Joe Burrow and maybe no T. Higgins. Uh, but... I will go with the player I thought you were going to take at two. Uh, the This year's wide receiver one, even though we all know it would have been Tyreek Hill had he stayed healthy uh, the final month of the season. But give me C.D. Lamb. The reason... I, I took Lamb over Tyreek is because he is younger and I believe he is tied to the better quarterback. Even though I like the dolphins offense more, uh, I think they might have to answer some difficult questions. This off season. is two of the guy uh, that they're going to trust moving forward. So I'll take the one that is locked in and has great rapport with their quarterback uh, with CD lamb and Dak there.
1: All right. So uh, we got CMC. We got Jamar chase. We got CD lamb off the board in the first three picks at number four, Well, there's still a couple of those top-notch wide receivers out there. And yes, his team does have questions to answer this offseason. I saw a uh, a tweet from a columnist in Miami saying that maybe if they lose in the first round, then Mike McDaniel will be on the hot seat in Miami. I don't care. I will still take Tyreek Hill at the number four spot. Yeah, maybe he doesn't start next season on fire and on pace for 2,000 yards. We're talking about a guy who left Patrick Mahomes and statistically got better that is how good (laughs) Tyreek Hill has been um and look I still think he is good enough regardless of who the quarterback's going to be I still think it'll be Tua but regardless of who it is he's good enough to be one of the top notch receivers in the NFL and fantasy and if I'm sitting at number four and the board goes the way it did I will gladly take Tyreek Hill
2: I love that pick. Um, I am rooting for Tyreek Hill this weekend to go off. Uh, I know the NFL wants Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game to be in Buffalo. I know that, <laughs> but I'm rooting for Tyreek Hill there. I'm going to make a little noise here with this pick, because I think a lot of people would be thinking about that other wide receiver that we've already mentioned. I'm going off script here. Oh, Amon I St. La- Brown. I love who- it continues to get better. Uh this year finished as the wide receiver 3. I, I don't think like yeah, there was a gap between CD and Tyreek. Then it was Amon-Ra and then there was a gap between every other wide receiver in this league. <laughs> so, uh he just gets better every single year. He dyed his hair lines blue. I am excited for him. Give me the sun god.
1: I still imagine him every single night going to sleep like uh, like Arya Stark, just listing off a name, <laughs> listing off names of all the wide receivers drafted ahead of him. Yeah, maybe a little bit uh, outside the box, but I I think it's awesome. I think that's a great pick. I don't hate it at all. Um, well, just because this guy is falling, I think I think it's time to stop the slide. Uh, talking about the guy who was the closest thing to a consensus number one overall pick in last year's drafts, and yes, I mentioned I know there are concerns about. What his quarterback situation is going to be. Maybe Kirk Cousins taking the discount is the difference. And if so, getting Justin Jefferson at number six could turn out to be a little bit of a value. So he's still one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, I think having Jordan Addison lined up across from him will only help. Throw in the fact that TJ Hawkinson likely not to be there at the start of the year after suffering a knee injury late in the season. So that means... Any more targets for Jefferson uh, early in the season? Uh, You're talking about an elite wide receiver falling to six. Thank you very much.
2: I I don't know if you agree because there's still plenty of talent left on the board. I feel like after these five is where we get the first fall off at the wide receiver position. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to pivot, I'm going to take a running back here. And uh, I'm going to go to one of the teams I root against often, but give me <laughs> Brees Hall uh, with the New York Jets because he finished as the RB2 this year. Despite how inept the Jets offense looks, they're going to have Aaron Rodgers back next year. He is going to be a full year removed from that knee surgery, won't get off to a slow start, should have even more burst. Um, I think Brees Hall might be the only running back who could rival Christian McCaffrey next year. I think so too,
1: and again, it depends on uh, Aaron Rodgers being healthy. But as you mentioned, even without him being there, uh, was still the RB two. Although granted, like a hundred points behind, hundred points <laughs> behind only Christian be like McCaffrey, fifty next year. Right, a hundred points behind Christian McCaffrey, who did not play Week eighteen. Uh, so uh, <laughs> and left throw in that Week in seventeen. Yeah, did he he left halfway through the Week seventeen game. Um, and it's still, still was a hundred points better than the next best running back. But Brees Hall, I know I said uh, recently that like, I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be the only r- round one running back. That was, I will admit, be maybe being a little hysterical in the moment. There will be others, just not that many this year. Um, so at number eight, there are a lot of options I think available here. Um, but I'm gonna take a guy who, uh, Was a late first round pick last season, but I think what he did this year warrants him moving up. Now, granted, he sort of faded at the end of last year, but still in what should be a good offense with a good young quarterback attached to him. Uh, I will take Batman himself from Philadelphia, A.J. Brown at the number eight spot. I don't know if, look, he had that stretch for what, six straight games, I think it was, with 125 or more yards I mean, that's asking a lot, but it does remind you of the big play potential for A.J. Brown and how much the passing game is going to lean on him and Devonta Smith to an extent. Um, and even if the Eagles don't score as many points, I still think A.J. Brown sees a ton of targets and I will take him at eight.
2: I, I was going to take either A.J. Brown or this next player. Um, so you made you made my choice pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts if after 9 you think there might start to be a little bit of a drop-off overall, but give me the Rams, RB1, Kyron Williams, who finished this year's the RB2 in points per game, finished a little bit lower than that because he missed some time, and I get the people who are like, 5th round pick, ankle issues, he can't do it again, and I'm like... I don't care about draft capital after (laughs) I've seen a player do what Kyron Williams has done in this Rams system. He is the second coming of Todd Gurley for Sean McVay. And we know McVay, when he has a running back that he trusts, will give him all of the volume. And that's what he's done with Kyron Williams. So uh, I don't expect the Rams to bring in another big name running back or anything like that. Uh, I, I think Kyron is going to be their guy next year. Yeah, Draft capital matters when you're talking about
1: rookie seasons or you're comparing, you know, a guy who was just sort of meh. Uh, but we're talking about a guy, Kyron Williams, who first Rams running back to go for 1,000 yards since Gurley in 2018. Um, you throw draft capital out the window and you just look at the production. So a uh, quick recap. we got Christian McCaffrey at one. Jamar Chase at two. CeeDee Lamb, three. Uh, Tyree Kill at four. Amon Ross St. Brown at five. Justin Jefferson at six. Breeze Hall, seven. A.J. Brown at eight. And Kyron Williams goes at nine. So three more picks here in the first round. And... Hmm, a lot of options of where to go, but I do think the place that I am going to go to is weirdly two not only uh, not only two jets in the first round, two jets in the top ten. We're gonna go with Garrett Wilson, who's changing his number to number five. He and Thomas Morstead apparently worked out a deal. I don't know if you saw this on uh, I think it was Instagram, he posted it. Uh, him and and uh, Morstead doing sort of a jersey swap to speak. Uh, and then number five, going over to Garrett Wilson. Uh, this is a guy who, all things considered, had an amazing season despite a ton of quarterback issues around him in New York. Uh, he was a late first round, early second round pick last year when we thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be the quarterback. And seeing him do what he did with Zach Wilson and Trevor Simeon and uh, who else did they have there? All the bad quarterbacks there in New York. Um, scrolling. Remember Tim Boyle? um, He was (laughs) was, still, I had to remember, I had to remind myself I don't know how I forgot the Christmas day, hail Mary pick six that he (laughs) threw. Um, But despite all of that, Garrett Wilson still went for over a thousand yards, still had 95 catches. So you get a healthy Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers back there, Garrett Wilson, uh, even at 10, that might be a little bit late. We'll see, but I'll, I'll gladly take him at 10.
2: I know we're going to have this conversation all summer long. I, I really am curious. We'll save this for another podcast. But Jordan Love outproducing what Aaron Rodgers did a year before <laughs> is uh, is something we
1: need to talk about. I think, I think we do need um, to have a dialogue. Yes,
2: <laughs> I am debating here between this will be two second year running backs. Um, I'm you know. A lot could change for one of them and could make me put him here at number 11, but I'm going to take the one on the better offense uh, who looked the part this year. Give me Jameer Gibbs, who I, I thought he'd be an RB1 this year. Not only was he in RB1, he was uh, the RB, what he finished? Oh, he finished at 10, but on a per game basis, he was a lot better than that. Um... So explosive, so dynamic as a pass catcher, as a runner, can be used near the goal line. The only concern is David Montgomery will, will be back next year, which maybe could mean i take a different quarterback of running back there if the other guy gets some things to go his way. But I, I think Gibbs is a first round pick next year. All right. So then
1: uh, that makes it easy for me to take at number 12, because uh, I'm sure that the other running back you're thinking about. Uh, Is the guy that I'm thinking about right now, and we talked about the coaching situation in Atlanta at the start of the show. And yes, we don't know who's going to be calling plays in Atlanta, but Bijan Robinson has been freed from the shackles of Arthur Smith's offense. Uh, you got to believe whoever comes in next is going to feature him heavily in the offense. And I know that a lot of people were let down. We had Bijan as a high first round pick next season, last season, it didn't work out. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to look at that and you know be a little bit hesitant. Uh, I do think the fantasy community as a whole is going to be a lot more excited about him this year, and I think he's going to stay in the first round. So I will put him at number 12 uh, to round out our first round. So um, I mean, looking at this, no Puka Nakua uh, in the first round. Um, I'm trying to think who else might have been able, to, like no Stephon Diggs in the first round, no Jonathan Taylor uh, in the first round. Um, but this feels okay for it to be, you know, I, mid-January. I considered
2: Puka, <laughs> Diggs. I did not consider JT, but I, I think all of those guys are early second-round picks. And and if you have a late first-round pick, you could get two studs on your team next year. Absolutely, which is wild, because right? Because it's like, so you know, let's say you do a Bijan
1: uh, Bijan Robinson, what, Puka stack, a Bijan uh, Stefan Diggs back-to-back. Uh, I mean, those are all options. It's a pretty good start. Uh, your first two picks to a draft, sitting in that that last spot there in the first round. So, um, yeah, two this jets be the last one we do, and two <laughs> lines in the top twelve picks. Who could have saw that coming? Who could have seen that coming? That is wild. Um, imagine me telling my you know fifteen year old self that. Uh, first, <laughs> first time I had to explain to my fifteen year old self what fantasy football was, and then I'd have to explain <laughs> to them that the, hey man, you picked two jets in the first round and two lines in the first round. Just kind of wild. Um, we'll do some more of these, obviously, uh, as the offseason goes along. At some point, we'll try to get a full mock draft in here, too, uh, as well. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out for that as we get through the offseason. We'll be back with you on Thursday. We will dive into the super wild card weekend. I'll get you some DFS picks for that as well. And uh, I don't know, we'll figure out something else to talk about too. There'll be news or something. Uh, or just we'll make it up as we go along. Uh, whatever. Regardless, that'll do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Stay happy, safe, and healthy. Do good and live well. Enjoy the week, everybody. We'll talk to you again real soon. <laughs>